You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today's very simple. I have to talk about the Bears game. I didn't watch all of it. I saw um, that horrific interception, which was fantastic. And then I saw them follow that up with a good defensive stop and a touchdown. And then I went to bed. Woke up this morning and oh my goodness. Now, obviously this has caused Bears fans to go into an absolute psychosis. However, I looked at the the Bears prior to this game and had a thought that didn't make me super happy. But it all is kind of making sense now. And listen, I'm not going to overstate beating a Cowboys team that is just in complete meltdown mode. I would not be surprised if they start looking for it. I mean, the head coach's fate is done. It's sealed. It's over. Whether or not they're going to move on the same way they did Mike McCarthy early in the season, i.e. this week or something, we'll see. They might not want to handle it that way, but it's, it's game over. They now have a losing record thanks to the Chicago Bears. But anyways, I want to give my thoughts on that because I do think it's interesting and it does make me slightly more nervous, which is exactly the reason why I said the Cowboys need to win. Because if they don't win, I'm going to be nervous that the Bears are going to come in and beat the Packers. Not because I think the Bears are better, but stuff happened. You know, there's, there's just, it's just a percentage, right? It's a roll of the dice. It's just a question of how many sides does this die have. If the Bears were as bad as they have been most of the year, coming into Lambeau against the Packers at their best, if I hadn't seen the 49ers game and, and the Chargers game, this die would have like 19 sides on it. Be like, you You don't really have a chance, but we'll roll it and see if your side comes up. Now I'm sitting at like an eight-sided die, and it's just it just makes you nervous. Because you know the odds are definitely in your favor. They're seven to one because the Packers are better and the Bears are still bad, and it's in Lambeau Field, and everything's going to be fine. But there's still that one side. You know what? It, it's, when I was a kid, my favorite game to play was Risk. Loved it. My family did not like it as much, especially as long as it took, but I loved that game. And I swear, I don't know what it is about the three dice against the two dice, but that defensive dice is just better than the three dice. And it, it, it was the most, every time you play, there would be the most ridiculous thing where you'd roll the three and they'd only have one die left and it would beat all three of yours like four times in a row before you took the country. And I would just sit there and you, know, it, you, you probably should have backed off because dice are just cold, but I can't because this is just a mathematical, th- this is not happening right now. This is, this is just, the universe hates me. That's all this is. And I'm just going to be stubborn and just, I'm going to lose everything I have trying to take Siam. And that's the end of this. Because this is just wrong. Right? It, it happens. So the Bears winning, you know, it just it increases the odds of them beating the Packers in Lambeau. Not because they're better. But anyways, that's the first thing that I want to talk about. And then we'll move on to looking at the task at hand, which is simply beating the Washington Redskins. Because even that is a die that has at least one side that has a big Washington Redskin logo on it. It might be a 30-sided die, but it still makes you nervous when you start rolling that thing. Like, oh, please, come on. No, not the one side. Never know, man. 
So let's focus on Washington right now and not the fact that the Bears have a long week to prepare for the Packers. Not worried about that. Um, I've been wanting to do that giveaway, and usually what I do is a big, long video, but because I just don't have time and I don't want to drag this out anymore, I'm just going to actually do it right this second. So all I do is I get a number generator, and then I have an app on my phone that gives a number to every person on Instagram, and that's how I do it. So I'm going to pause this, and I'll be right back. All right, I got the winner. Looking at him right now. So we'll take a break, and on the other end of the break, we will reveal who it is. Well, today's Friday, which is really, really exciting, because that means we got one more day until the weekend. The problem that comes up a lot of the time for me is that you get excited for the weekend until you realize the weekend isn't all that great because you're not even doing anything with your life. And then you waste it. And then Sunday rolls around, and you realize you wasted an entire weekend, and now you got to start the week all over again. Let's not do that this week. How about we get some tickets to the Packers game? How about that? And if you're going to get some tickets... Make sure you use the place where you get some rewards back, you got a 100% buyer guarantee, and you got this sweet promo that's going to throw some cash back in your pocket. If you haven't done it yet, download the Vivid Seats app. You're automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. And if you're new to it, use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Well, all right. Let's go ahead and start with Le Giveaway. Now, this is the giveaway for when we got to 600 followers. Been waiting on this one for a while. Once again, the giveaway is for either. It will be up to uh, this person to decide. But the options are a signed 8x10 of uh, Johnny Holland, and Johnny Holland is the one that signed it, or a Chuck Mercine jersey. Mercine was a running back for the Packers back in the Ice Bowl days. Whichever of the two this person doesn't pick is still going to be available. We'll give that away when we get to 700. I feel like that'll be kind of a while. But the winner of the 600 follower extraordinaire extravaganza is Instagram name MJ1524, a.k.a. Matthew Johnson. So, Matty boy, you got three days, man. Hit me up today, tomorrow, or Sunday for this giveaway Otherwise, we will do another drawing, and uh, we'll start this whole process all over again. All right, so let's look at the Bears. Here, here's, let me start with the conclusion first. I think the Bears went backward a year. What I mean by that is, in 2018, I had actually, I don't know if I would go so far as to say predicted the Bears would be good, but I told everyone to temper their sort of the Bears are terrible kind of attitude because they could be a very good team. And in fact, 
exactly how I laid it out was, number one, the Bears' defense, the arrow has been pointing straight up, and if they take another step, as they did, this is going to be a very scary team. Beyond that, they didn't have a very good record, but they were very, very close to winning a lot of their games. And if a couple of these games, these three-point games, flipped the other direction, it was a, I don't know, a 10-win team or something? I'm kind of just making up numbers. But it was just one of those things where they were very close to being a pretty good team, and I wanted to wait and see. So it seems as though they've kind of just regressed back to 2017 Bears. And the thing that I was looking at prior to this game that kind of made me a little bit nervous was just looking at the teams they beat. And again, we can do this game for every team as far as, you know, these teams are not good, these teams are good, whatever. We kind of forget who the good teams and bad teams were, and that changes as the year goes on. And, you know, obviously the Bears are on a big losing streak for a while. But if we look at it, they lost week one to the Packers, but it was 3-10. to right? So not super massive. Then they go on to win three weeks in a row against the Broncos, the Redskins, and the Vikings. Obviously, the Redskins are not that impressive, but it was 31-15. to That's a pretty solid trouncing. They beat the Broncos, which also isn't that impressive, but it's coming off a loss. It's traveling on the road. It's peak terrible Mitch Trubisky, and the Bears' defense kept them to 14 points. The offense was able to rack up 16. Then they go on to beat the Vikings, by keeping the Vikings offense to six points. Then they lose to the Raiders, which felt like a bigger deal at the time, but we came to find out the Raiders actually were putting up some good games at that time, and they also only lost by three. They came out of their bye and lost to the Saints, but the Saints are obviously a dominant team. They lost to the Chargers, so did we, and it was only one point they lost by. They lost to the Eagles, so did we. They beat the Lions. They lost to the Rams by 10. Rams are not a terrible team. And they beat the Giants, the Lions, and the Cowboys. If you look at this from the Packers' perspective, how many differences would there be between what we did and what the Packers did? Would we have beaten the Saints, Chargers, and Eagles? Well, no. I mean, maybe the Saints, but probably not. And we already lost to the Chargers and the Eagles. The only real definitive difference that we know is that the Packers did beat the Oakland Raiders. Otherwise, would the Packers have beaten the Rams? I, I don't know. In L.A.? The fact of the matter is, and everybody's focusing on Mitch Trubisky, and I guess to a degree that's correct, because this 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 team is only going to go so far as Mitch Trubisky takes it. And I think a lot of Bears fans are overstating how incredible Mitch Trubisky has been. He has not been that incredible. However, night and day difference between early part of the season and second half of the season. Night and day. He's had two very good games against the Detroit Lions. The game against the Giants was pretty good, which I guess is to be expected. I think everybody has a good game against the Giants. Outside of that, eh. I mean, we'll see what what happened with Dallas. I didn't watch the whole game. I'm assuming it's hard to get four touchdowns and have a terrible game. But we'll see when the the PFF grades come out, what they said about it. And I guess we could look at his stat line. Oh, yeah, that's pretty impressive. So (laughs) 23 of 31, which is 74%. 244 yards is kind of whatever. Three touchdowns and a pick, also added a rushing touchdown. Ten carries, 63 yards, which is the one thing that, as the announcers are saying, um, I think a lot of Bears fans want Trubisky to, to lean on that a little bit more. Now, again, I don't really want to overstate this too much, because if we just look one week ago at what the Buffalo Bills did, and the Bills, listen, I, I, I had a question going into that game, because this is two teams I didn't didn't understand. Are the Bills really this good? Because they've had the easiest schedule of anyone this year. Are the Cowboys really that bad? And then the Buffaloes beat the brakes off of the Cowboys, and it's either 
both of these things are true, the Buffalo Bills are good and the Cowboys are bad, or at least one of these things is very true. Either the Bills are really good or the Cowboys are really bad. But the Buffalo Bills offense is not good, and they put up 26 points. Now, it's impressive that the New England um, Patriots, they only score 13 points, but that's a question in and of itself. You've seen Tom Brady kind of fall off the second part of this year. But if you look at what the Cowboys have done, they gave up 26 to the Bills, they gave up 27 to the Lions, they gave up 28 to the Vikings. It's not been a very good stretch. Right? That Patri- The defense against the Patriots was awesome. I mean, they still lost because that was the one game the offense couldn't get going. But the last five games now, with the exception of the Patriots, it's been pretty high numbers the defense has been given up. And I know everyone's saying, well, they've got a top 10 defense or whatever. Well, that's true. But a lot of that has to do with early part of the year. I mean, 17 points the Giants put up, duh. I mean, they gave up 21 to the Redskins. The the first three games they play were the Giants, Redskins, and Dolphins. So yeah, not a ton of points, and that's going to help. Then the Saints put up 12. That's really impressive. But that's kind of the end of it when things started to slide. There was still 24 points by the Jets, which is too much for the Jets. 10 for the Eagles, 13 for the Patriots. So the, the defense has these flashes. Holding the Patriots to the 13, the Eagles to 10, the Saints to 12, that's incredibly impressive. Allowing the Redskins 21, the Packers 34, the Jets 24, the Vikings 28, the Lions 27, the Bills 26, and now the biggest smack in the face, the Bears 31. There's no question there is some element of a a Cowboys decline. The question is to what extent. But again, the the Bears' schedule is not all that unbelievable. I mean, you could easily see the Packers in this situation. Again, if the Packers had come out of their bye and faced the Saints, Chargers, and Eagles, there's a good chance the Packers would have gone 0-3 for that stretch. Besides that, the only two losses they had were the Packers, which I can't compare that to the Packers, and the Raiders, and they only lost to the Raiders by three. I don't necessarily mean to just compare it to the Packers. I'm just trying to put it into a perspective to where we understand why the Bears are losing, but maybe aren't exactly the worst ever. The Saints' beat was a bad beat. The Chargers was only one point. The Raiders were only three points. The Packers were seven, which, I mean, is three to ten. They just scored one touchdown in that game. It was over. Well, tied, but whatever. And, but, you know, on the other hand, it could go the other way. They only beat the Lions by four. They beat the Giants by five. They beat the Lions by seven the week before that. Beat the Vikings by ten. Beat the Broncos by two. The only real trouncing would have been probably the Washington Redskins, which who cares? But this is kind of the point. We, we don't know anything. There are a few things we know. We know the 49ers are pretty good. We don't know to what degree, but we know they're good. And this is exactly why I have an issue with DVOA, which I think is a very, very good metric in terms of trying. It's it's the only one I'm aware of in which we try to say how good this team is and take into account how good the other teams are. The problem is it becomes circular. Well, this team's good because they beat that team, and that team is good so we know this team is good, and we only know that team is good because they beat these teams, although these teams are bad, which kind of makes the, that team bad, which means this beat wasn't that impressive. It just goes round and round and round, and, and, the, and the, the crazy game, right, the Bears beating the Vikings, all these kind of like outliers just relay that we don't actually have any idea what we're talking about. It also tells us definitively that there is no such thing as a 100% good team or 100% bad teams. There are Teams that are not great, that play some really horrible games, that kind of stay in that not great zone and have really great games. And so when two teams come, it's not just a matter of how good this team is or that team is. There's a question of how good is this team now, right? Because trajectory matters. And how good of a game is this going to be based on where that team is? 
right? This team's a 60 and that team's a 70. But the range for this team is between a 30 and a 90. And the other team has a range of 40 to 94. So where are they going to fall on that spectrum? That determines who's going to win and who's going to lose. So it's just, it's just impossible to predict. But credit where it's due to the Bears. Trubisky is definitely having a bit of a comeback, which is not great, but it also kind of makes me a little bit excited because the Bears may just decide to stick with the guy. And I don't know, maybe he will become a good quarterback. I don't know. These things do take time. Maybe he's just now hitting his groove and this is it. Now, to be fair, he's still not top five quarterback territory, but he would, I mean, if, if this is who he is for the rest of his career, and then he, he's a legit quarterback. And as long as Trubisky's doing this, and the Bears' defense is still doing what it's doing, which is fourth in points, seventh in yards, a very good defense that has only allowed more than 20 points three times the whole year, 22 to the Eagles, 36 to the Saints, 24 to the Raiders, then, um, and I, th- that makes me more nervous than anything. Because if you look at it, we're essentially saying that the Packers' defense has to keep the Bears' offense under 20 points which shouldn't be that big of a deal, but if Trubisky's still being Trubisky, I mean, 20 points isn't that much. But I don't know, whatever. We're not talking about the Bears. Just my thoughts. And again, as the year goes on, it just becomes even more convoluted. I don't know what the Bears are. I think it's safe to say the Bears are getting better. Are they going to run the table? No, because they have the Packers, the Chiefs, and the Vikings next. They're not going to win all three of those games. That's not going to happen. And the Packers and the Vikings are both away. Playing in Lambeau, Playing in Minnesota, those are two very tough places to play, especially in December. Aaron Rodgers at home in December, just he doesn't lose. I don't want to jinx it, but I'm just saying. That is not the greatest scenario to be in. And, of course, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. So, anyways, it's more interesting than anything for for two major reasons. One, we have to play the Bears, so what does this mean? Number two, what does this mean going forward for the Bears? Are they going to be really good in 2020? I mean, they can't really add much because they don't have money and they don't have draft picks. I mean, they don't have a first-round pick. They got picks beyond that. But maybe they don't need to? I don't know. I Put everything in question form. I don't know. All my statements have a question mark at the end. Anyways, why don't we just take a break now, and then we'll just talk uh, about the Washington Redskins in a very general sense. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right. So let's look at the Washington Redskins here. Now, obviously, they did what they needed to do. Um, After starting 0-5, they decided to fire Jay Gruden on a negative note. Since that time, they've gone three and four. So they're about a 500 team right now with Bill Callahan as the coach. So as much as I know you wanted good news, don't have a lot, except for one thing. Number one, it's only three wins, so you could say 50%, but it's, it's three wins. And those three wins came against the Dolphins, the Lions, and the Panthers. Now to put, a, a, again, go back to the negative spin, the Lions and the Panthers were the last two weeks. So they came out of their bye, and they're two and one with the new head coach. Beating the Lions and the Panthers, which isn't, it's not automatic. Panthers aren't horrible. And that was on the road for Washington. So similarly, I know a lot of people have been throwing around out there, oh, they have the 32nd rank in points and 32nd ranked in yards. There's 32nd in first downs, 32nd in passing yards, 31st in passing touchdowns, 21st in passing interceptions, 29th in rushing attempts, 20th in passing yards, 28th in rushing touchdowns, 29th in drives ending in a score, 
uh, 29th in time of possession, 31st in plays per drive, 31st in net yards per drive, 31st in average points scored per drive. I get that, but that's average through the year. Let me just show you this little stretch here prior to their bye week. Their offense scored against the Giants 3, against the Patriots 7, against the Dolphins 17, against the 49ers 0, against the Vikings 9, against the Bills 9. That's why. And they're never going to dig their way out of that hole. I don't care what they do the last four weeks of the season. Now, what have they done since the bye? That's a little bit more interesting to me. 17 against the Jets, 19 against the Lions, 29 against the Panthers. This is a better football team. I'm not saying good, but if you're expecting the team that scored 9 points against the Bills, 9 against the Vikings, 0 against the 49ers, 7 against the Patriots, or 3 against the Giants, that's probably not the team you're going to get. So is this a bad team? Yeah, I still think it is. However, the last two weeks in a row, PFF has had them in the good category. And against Carolina, they were almost 80, which would be in the very good category. What did they do well? Well, the offense was 77. The passing grade was an 86. The run grade was an 85. And the defense was solid across the board. Run defense was a 73. Tackling, 75. Pass rush, 74. Coverage was still average, but whatever. The only areas that they really struggled in last week was receiving. Pass blocking wasn't great and coverage. Now, it's just one week, and it, you know, again, they don't adjust for competition, so it's really just beating the guy in front of you, and if Carolina just completely imploded, that's, this may be a reflection of how bad Carolina was more than anything, because it's the only game this entire year in which the passing grade has been any good, with the exception of the Jets, it was pretty good, but to go from the highest ever being a 72 to being an 86, it was the only grade where the offense graded out well, even special teams, has been kind of on fire the last three weeks. Is that a fluke, or are they kind of turning something around? Well, let's first of all start with their uh, injury report here. And the Packers are once again fully healthy. I don't, I don't know. I mean, in the history of football, has this ever been a thing? This is really weird. But uh, for the Washington Redskins, there are four guys currently not practicing, at least as of Thursday. Trey Quinn, who is their slot receiver. Paul Richardson, another receiver that they have, who's out with a hamstring. Uh, Adrian Peterson is out with a toe injury. And uh, DeShazer Everett, safety, is out with a shoulder injury. Uh, linebacker Ryan Anderson, tackle Morgan Moses, guard Brandon Scherf, and uh, their new pass rusher Montez Sweat are also limited in participation with various injuries. So when we look at the team, essentially, let's start with the offense. Haskins, as we know, has not been a very good quarterback. However, he did have a very good game against Carolina. So it's, again, it's the whole question all over again. Is this, is this kind of like a breakout thing? Because really over the last three weeks... He's, only, he's had two pretty good games and one bad game, but it was against Carolina and the Jets, and you know, I don't know. We'll get into more particulars about him, but as it stands right now, um, I'm not super worried about Dwayne Haskins. Along the offensive line, there's not a lot of good going on. Um, Scherf is a monster. He's also hurt, apparently. Chase Roulier, their center, is pretty solid, but uh, Donald Penn is, is just done. He's their left tackle. Go back two years, and I mean, he's had a, a great, great, great career. I'm talking from 2007 to 2017, he was a very good tackle. The last two years, though, nothing. This is not a great year for him. So Penn at left tackle, Eric Flowers at left guard, and Morgan Moses at right tackle. I'm not going to say they're bad, but it's it's just not great. So the interior is definitely a little bit better. So we got to worry once again, because Clark has had a little bit of a bounce back, but these have been some horrifically bad interior offensive lines. I want to see kind of where the rubber meets the road now. Is he going to stay on this track and, and be a really good pass rusher at least against guys like Chase Roulier and Brandon Scherf? Or was he just picking on some bums? Because I'll tell you what, Darius Geis is a good running back. He's had a hard time staying healthy. He was out his whole first year. He was injured again this year. 
but um, he's he's off and running. Not the greatest receiver so far, but as a pass blocker and as a runner, he's doing a really good job, and you get a team that's not doing very well against the run. You get a decent offensive line, especially along the interior, and you get a good running back. That's a good foundation to start with. Then you tack on Terry McLaurin, who is a rookie that's been playing very, very well, and it's one of those things where the offense isn't very good, but they just got these couple things that are probably going to work. Terry McLaurin's going to see some green grass, and Darius Geis is probably going to have some running lanes, and just those two things are going to be enough to get a couple first downs mixed in. The fact of the matter, you know, how many of those can they string together and put together some scoring drives? On top of that, again, Trey Quinn is, is injured. If he doesn't play, he's their one slot guy. They've also got Kelvin Harmon, another rookie, out on the outside. I mean, if I'm looking at this, it's a very simple matter of the Packers' defense is better than this offense. But again, with this offensive line, which again isn't bad, it's it's you got a couple average players and a couple solid interior guys, and Geis, and Haskins may be playing kind of decent. Just don't set the bar too low. This is going to be a situation where everybody's going to look at it and say this is the worst offense in football, therefore they shouldn't even be able to get a first down. They're going to come out, they're going to get a bunch of first downs, probably get a field goal on the first drive, and every Packer fan is going to just flip out. This defense is a joke. I can't tell It's not how this works. Still a professional football team at the end of the day. Now, a real big benefit is they do not have tight end. So we don't have to worry about that so much. They really don't have very many wide receivers outside of McLaurin. They don't have, you know, any real good receiving backs. I know they have Chris Thompson, who historically has been a very good receiving back. He's not been that great this year as, as a weapon through the air. So it's a pretty vanilla kind of team, which is great for the Packers because they just can't seem to handle a lot of complexity. And really, this should be a simple matter of, and I'm supposed to be talking about this tomorrow, but load the box, take away McLaurin. Put Jair on McLaurin. If he needs help, give him some help. I don't know. Whatever you got to do. Hopefully he doesn't need help, but he might. And get after Haskins. That's That should be enough to win the game. Just from a simple standpoint of we should be able to score a lot of points as well, which let's look at that now. Defensively, what does this team have? Not a lot. However, once again, it's just enough to where you're like, eh, that's not great. Now, they don't really have a pass rush. Ryan Anderson has been pretty solid in the past, not doing so great. Josh Sweat, another guy that Packer fans... See, and that's the thing. Everybody wants to get all high and mighty about Rashawn. What happened to all the Sweat talk? Remember when he just blew everybody's mind in the combine? Absolute freak. Never seen anything like it in our lives. He's not good, though. And I know this is going to get brought up when he gets his one sack. I don't care. Same thing happened with Brian Burns. He had a sack, and it was like, oh, see, we should have got burned. Because nobody realizes that was his first sack in like four or five games. Anyways. So the linebackers aren't great. The pass rushers aren't great. They do have a decent interior. Uh, they got that whole Alabama thing going on. Jonathan Allen. Um, this is, the, the biggest reason, one of my favorite guys in the draft is Raquan Davis. Has been since last year. I, I know he's not an elite player. He's not a good pass rusher. Just something about a big, dominant dude that just says, I'm going to beat everybody in front of me. Even if he's not super productive, I don't care. The biggest thing that scares me about him is the Alabama defensive linemen that just don't amount to anything. And Washington has about 50% of them. But Jonathan Allen was just this big monster, can't-miss prospect, had a good rookie year, decent 2018, and now just completely fallen off. So he's had two years of regression. And then you follow that up with Deron Payne. He's had two good, not great years. And then you get Matt Ioannidis, who's a guy that nobody really expected much from and is probably their best defensive lineman right now. But across the board, it's not a bad defensive line. They're decent, they're big, they're strong, they're scary, whatever. Um, And then on top of that, 
They've got one really good cornerback in Quentin Dunbar who's just having one of those weird years where he's just kind of one of those average guys. And it's, it's also why when people talk about the best in the NFL right now, nobody's going to mention Quentin Dunbar. You know why? Because a lot of it is name recognition. Now, granted, if I wasn't staring at PFF, I would have no idea. I wouldn't even know Quentin Dunbar's name, probably, if I didn't comb through all this stuff 24 hours a day. But the fact of the matter is he's one of those under-the-radar guys. He's on a terrible team. Nobody cares. But he is currently PFF's number one rated cornerback in the NFL. So it's just another one of those frustrating things like, ah, they're going to take away Adams again. Not perfectly, but he's still going to struggle. So they got somebody on Adams, so we got to get other people that can get open. You know, we got to be able to establish the run, but they got a decent enough offensive line and our offensive or defensive line and our offensive line is seemingly given up. I don't know what's going on, but as far as running the ball, they just do not care. Just, yeah, I understand snow is slippery, but it's slippery for both sides. Defensive linemen didn't seem to be slipping much. They got some traction, they got low and they got some push for a team that supposedly knows how to handle the snow. I'm not really going to go ahead and use that as an excuse. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, gee, I hope it doesn't snow in Lambeau. The boys are going to be slipping. Get some bigger spikes and go play football. Um, but outside of that, the corner group is terrible. The safeties, I know everybody was super big on Landon Collins, the biggest, the best, the greatest. Um, and I mentioned, not super much, no. Especially when you throw in contracts. I mean, I would have been okay with Landon Collins if his pay was reduced by, I don't know, $7 million. But uh, the Washington Redskins decided to pay him because they can't turn down an Alabama boy. Just like they had HaHa Clinton Dix out of Alabama. So they get rid of him. They bring in Landon Collins. HaHa's having a much better year than Landon is because going to make a lot of people mad. HaHa's better than Landon Collins. And I think Amos is better than Landon Collins. I think a lot of guys are better than Landon Collins because I don't think Landon Collins is all that good. He did have two good years, which again is the same thing with everybody else where they have one or two good years and it just gets locked in. That's it. Landon Collins is a freak. Because I remember when people talked about it a couple years ago, and I just assumed that things never change. Nope, things change. People have really good years for one or two years and fall off. It happens all the time. I don't know why, it just does. So, And Collins isn't bad. Again, there's going to be another one, Collins gets a pick or something. Oh, what happened to Collins bad? Because a guy's career is summed up in one good play against the Packers, according to Packers fans. That's all it takes to be a really good player. But no, I would say Dunbar is a really good corner. Uh, Payne and Ioannidis are, are a pretty good unit up front along the defensive line, and Collins is a decent, strong safety. Outside of that, bad pass rushers, bad corners, bad linebackers, and their free safety is, is no bueno. So, I mean, they need to be able to run against this kind of a, a defensive front. They need to be able to run a lot. Because we can sit here and say, oh, I don't know, Payne and Ioannidis, there aren't too many defensive lines that don't are, that aren't at least this good. The Bears' defensive line is way better than this. The Vikings' defensive front is way better than this. The Lions are better than this. I'm just going through the list of teams we still have to play. And then we get into the playoffs, and, you know, I know Dallas is in implosion mode, and I don't even know if they're going to be in the playoffs, but the Eagles definitely have a better defensive line than this. The same, I mean, every, everybody does. Everybody at least has a guy. So, need to be able to run against a team that does not have a good defensive front and does not have good linebackers and has a mediocre strong safety and a bad free safety. I mean, everybody in line that could be tackling our offensive or our, our running back is not super great. So they should be able to run the ball with zero problems. Tight ends, time to wake up, boys. Okay, nobody cares. Nobody's going to be putting any corners on you because you're all, to, to put it bluntly, as far as defensive coordinators are concerned, you're all worthless. Nobody is scared of our tight ends in the passing game. Let's do something here. And if for some dumb reason we're splitting out Jimmy Graham and he's putting Landon Collins on him, we need to be able to attack the deep part of the field. 
But I, I think this is the bigger issue with the Packers. There's always things like that. And this is why we see Aaron Rodgers do something. It's like, why did you do that? Because we should have been able to win there. And I know that's old Mike McCarthy thinking of this is where we need to win. But it's also the idea of giving what the defense taking what the defense gives you. So in other words, it's not a matter of run this play and it's going to win because we're better. It's a matter of here's the play and here is what is going to work within this play because of what the defense is giving us. That's kind of how this is supposed to run. So just kind of running through this real quick as an example, we split out, I don't know, Mercedes Lewis. Collins drops to covers Lewis and now they got Nicholson, their free safety who's garbage, sitting all by himself over the top. And we're running a route in so much as we could assume that the safety isn't going to be super worried about it. So whatever. We got MVS running a go route. And say the safety bite's going the wrong way. So MVS just has to beat this one guy. What is Rodgers going to do? I've got this really tall, really fast guy, one-on-one with a really bad corner, and no safety help. I'm going to throw the ball over there. That's it. And all that needs to happen now is MVS needs to find a way to get some separation with that blazing speed. And I need to throw a good ball to MVS for the first time in my career. But again, the problem is it's going to be on like a third and two. And we're going to see him launch a 40-yard pass and just go, oh, of course. Which it is still of course because I, I think we should maybe just run the ball or, or do something else. Because honestly, that's how I would play the Packers if I were the D. I would just bait them into doing things they shouldn't be doing. And understand that that could mean an explosive play here and there. But it also could mean, especially on like third down. I don't want you to run the ball. I don't want you to run a quick little out route with Devontae because that's an automatic first down. Rather than give you the automatic first down, I'm going to bait you into taking this 40-yard pass and trust that Rodgers is going to take the bait and then just hope they can't complete it. And we probably won't because we, I would guess, are competing, completing less than 50% of these. Probably less than 30%. They're not going well. But anyways, you, you understand why that would be enticing. And maybe if it's second down, okay, we'll take the bait. Third and two, though, no, nah, man. This is the play call. We're sticking with it. I don't care if they don't have any safeties. Devontae's running a slant. I'm going to hit him as second his foot hits the dirt, and we're getting this first down. That's it. I don't care if you put five guys on him. It's going to Devontae. Slight hyperbole, but you get my point. But, I mean, that that's the Washington Redskins in a nutshell. They've got a couple pieces. They should be able to do a couple things. Don't expect this to be the worst offense you've ever seen in your life, and also don't expect it next week. And this this is what the narrative is going to be. The, the Packers are going to beat the Redskins, but it's not going to be as big of a trouncing as everybody wants because they expect this to be the worst offense in the history of the world, and it's in Lambeau and all this stuff, and it's going to be similar to the Giants game, you know, 28 to 21. And, oh, geez, the Packers are the worst. This should never. How do they score 21 points on the Packers or 18 points on the Packers and only win by 10, not realizing that, you know, 18-ish points is kind of what they've been doing since the bye. That's standard for the Washington Redskins. It's not standard for a team that's ranked 32nd, but we're talking about a Wash- we're basically talking about a Washington Redskins team in week 6, which is not what they are anymore. So, you know, of course the Packers should win. They should win convincingly because they are a better team. They got a better offensive line than they have a defensive line. We have better wide receivers than they have corners, not by a lot, but by a little. Actually Dunbar is a higher grade than Adams. Moreau is is slightly lower than Geronimo, although I don't want Geronimo on the field. If we get Lazard out there, then that's the biggest mismatch. But, I mean, the the running backs, the tackles, the quarterback, Adams, Lazard, defensively with Preston and Zadarius and Kenny, just assaulting this offensive line against a young, shaky rookie. And really, again, all we have to do is is stop the run and take away McLaurin, 
and we should be pretty pretty good to go. In the past, when we've done that, there's always like a tight end that just keeps smacking us in the face because we can only do like one or two things at once. We can't do three things at once. We can't cover everything. We got to put all our energy into one thing, maybe two things. But if they've got a wide receiver, we're trying to take away, and we're trying to stack the box, and we're trying to take away tight ends, that that's not going to happen. But again, they don't really have any, so hopefully we'll be all right. But that's pretty much how I can sum this up in a nutshell. Yes, they're really, really bad. Yes, the Packers should win this game convincingly. If they don't, there are very serious problems. No, this is not as bad of a team as everyone's been telling you it is, although it is very bad. Yes, they're going to score some points. We're probably not going to win as convincingly as you want. And if we do win as convincingly as as it would if they were a 32nd ranked offense and just the worst offense ever, then we should be more impressed than what they're going to get credit for. Because it's not just a simple matter of, well, I mean, that's what you expect. No, it's not. Not since their bye week. Not since their new head coach. They're bad. They're not that bad. But anyways, that's all I got. We'll be back tomorrow for a little bit more in-depth stuff. Look at some more uh, in-depth stats on the quarterback and, and how we can beat the team, keys to the game, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then be sure to be on the lookout for the On This Day in History. I've been getting that going for a solid two weeks now, I think. So props to me for sticking to something for a while. Other than the podcast itself, obviously, I do solid with that. But um, I'm really enjoying that, and hopefully you all are too. Otherwise, I will catch you all later today or tomorrow. Have a great Friday. Bye-bye.